Our scripture this morning is taken from Galatians, uh, the third chapter, verses 23 through 29. Hear these words of faith. Now, before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be reckoned as righteous by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, we are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are heirs according to the promise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Heirs of the promise. As you entered worship this morning, if you came from the Park Avenue side, you hopefully passed by some antique trucks. They belong to Reagan Harrison and Tom Wyatt. My brother Thomas has a 1972 C10, custom 10. I had to learn all those things. Chevy pickup, it was inherited from my dad, Steve Wyatt. Thomas and his restoration partner, Jack Gaskins, took it down to the frame and rebuilt it bolt by bolt and piece by piece. It was, in my humble opinion, a masterpiece of love and recreation. Reagan Harrison restored his 59 Chevy truck with his dad, Ray Harrison, and his restoration partner, and they worked on and off, Reagan tells me, for 25 years. Reagan said the truck is full of very fond memories for him. They didn't know much about working on trucks when they started, but they learned together by trial and by error. Friends helped them when they got over their heads, and when Reagan turned 18, his father Ray put the 59 Chevy in his name. The Bible reminds us that we are more than caretakers. We are heirs of the promise. We have an inheritance. My father promised his truck to my brother many years ago. And before my brother rebuilt it, I can remember when you could sit in the passenger seat and see the pavement of the highway through the rusted out floorboard beneath. Paul calls all who belong to Christ to be true heirs to the long established promise of Father Abraham. The promise God made to Abraham expands throughout Genesis. First, Abraham's faith is reckoned to him as a righteousness, righteousness before God. And as a result of that right relationship Abraham enjoys with God, he is later promised a land and a multitude of descendants to inhabit that land forever. It's a wonderful children's song. Father Abraham had many sons and I'm one of them. What excites Paul so completely in this week's passage from Galatians is the fact that because of Christ, the conditions of the old law have been swept away, and we are all set free from that law. 
For Paul calls Christ the true offspring of Abraham, the first heir of the abundance promised to Father Abraham. And it is as heirs of this promise that we must keep faith with Christ. To be justified by faith, not works, requires a faith that is vital, alive, and full of promise. True heirs to the promise of abundant life calls us to be promise makers, promise keepers, and promise trusters. I can remember making a promise to our children years ago about a wooden fort for Christmas when we lived in Palm Coast. We ordered it from one of the big box stores, and I guess I didn't think it through very well because it was delivered on a pallet with a box of bolts set on top (laughs) with holes that still needed to be drilled. My brother Thomas drove over from Tallahassee in that same blue pickup truck that's parked out front this morning to help me put the fort together on Christmas Eve. After four worship services, we were still working like exhausted elves in the garage, trying to keep the completed masterpiece a surprise from our children, Matthew and Taylor, trying to keep the promise. About 3 a.m., how I wished my father was still living so he could have helped us finish that fort. But I had promised that fort for Christmas, and about 5 a.m., my brother and I finally did finish building it. As promise-making people of God, we can confidently promise those things that God has promised to us. Jesus proclaimed much, foretold much, but the most important promise of His mission and ministry is found in Mark 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the promise we can make before the world without hesitation, without reservation. Our participation in this promise means we live as if the kingdom of God has arrived in the here and now. Indeed, making the promise begins to bring in the kingdom a little more fully every day. Making this promise, you see, is a public act, witnessing to others about both the kingdom and the gospel. It's the good news that the kingdom brings. And we are called to be promise keepers. If making a promise is a pronouncement, keeping a promise can sometimes be a production. It it takes lights and cameras and, for my brother and me, skill saws and electric screwdrivers and, most importantly of all, action. In the dark of an early morning, in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve. Yet faith in action is promise-keeping, is it not? Though we are no longer imprisoned by the law, Jesus calls us to keep the faith, to be the promise-keepers, Christ said, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so we keep that promise because the risen Christ added, and remember, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And finally, we become promise trusters. Trust is what gives power to all of our assertions, trusting in the promised kingdom, trusting in Christ's presence through 
the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting in our identity as an heir, inheritors of the promise. For we are all called to belong. Fred Craddock, one of my favorite professors in seminary, told the story of going back one summer to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, the place of his youth, to take a short vacation with his wife. One night they found a quiet little restaurant in Gatlinburg where they looked forward to a private meal, just the two of them. And while they were waiting for their meal, they noticed a distinguished-looking white-haired man moving from table to table in the restaurant. Visiting the guests, Craddock whispered to his wife, oh, I hope he doesn't come over here. (laughs) He didn't want the man to intrude on their privacy, but the man did come by his table. Where are you folks from, he said amicably. Well, Oklahoma, Fred Craddock said. Splendid state, said the man, although I've never been there. What do you do for a living? He said, well, I teach homiletics at the seminary. Oh, so you teach preachers, do you? Well, have I got a story I want to tell you. And with that, he pulled up a chair and sat down at the table with Craddock and his wife. Dr. Craddock remembers he groaned inwardly. Oh, no. Here comes another preacher story for me. It seems everyone has one to tell. The man stuck out his hand. He said, I'm Ben Hooper. I was born not far from here, just across the mountains. He said, my mother wasn't married when I was born, so I had a hard time. When I started school, my classmates called me names. I I used to go off by myself at recess, and during lunchtime, I had taunts and cuts of words that hurt so deeply. What was worse, he said, was going downtown on Saturday afternoon and feeling every eye burning a hole through me. They were all wondering why I didn't have a father. When I was about 12 years old, a new preacher came to our church, and I would always go in late and slip out early, but one day the preacher said the benediction so fast that I got caught up and had to walk out with the crowd. I could feel, again, every eye in the church on me, and I About the time when I got to the door, I felt a big hand on my shoulder. I looked up, and the preacher was looking right at me. Who are you, son? Whose boy are you? Said the new preacher. I felt the old weight come on me, he said. It was like a a big black cloud that would never leave. Even the preacher was putting me down. But as he looked at me, studying my face, he began to smile a big smile of recognition. And he said, wait a minute. He said, I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. Why, you're a son of God. You're a son of God. With that, he patted my shoulder. He said, young man, you've got a great inheritance. Go and claim it. The old man looked across the table at Fred Craddock and said, you know, that was the most important single sentence ever said to me in my entire life. And with that, he smiled. He shook the hands of Craddock and his wife and moved on to another table to greet old friends. He said, everyone goes through times in their everyday life and their faith life when they need a little reminder of God's love for them. 
for his love is never failing, never ending. We are heirs of a promise, and we have a legacy of our fathers and mothers and the saints who have gone before us. Because it's Father's Day, I can't help but share with you one of my favorite stories about my own dad. For my dad was an amazing father. After my mother died, he decided to move to Jacksonville where I lived and was pastor. He looked for a place to live, and together we went around to many retirement homes. He carried with him an accordion file and began collecting all the information he wanted about his new place to live. He wanted something on the water. He ended up choosing Wesley Woods on Julington Creek in South Jacksonville near Mandarin. And I'll never forget our tour. The wonderful hostess showed my dad a furnished one-bedroom apartment. She said, Mr. Wyatt, they're watching. He said, who's watching? She said, oh, you'll see. And they looked back, and all the doors were cracked all the way down the hallway. He said, Mr. Wyatt, you're fresh meat around here. You're going to have a great time. Out of his living room door, he had a sliding glass for his garden, a place to store his canoe near the creek, and everything he was looking for in amenities. Within a month or two, my dad had joined the line dancing club, the billiards club. He had purchased a three-wheel bike to get around the expansive grounds. He had already taken a number of field trips to submarine base at the Navy Yard, He went out several times for seafood on the St. John's River and at Ponte Vedra. He was having the time of his life. He only lived another year. He had taken a trip of a lifetime, visiting every relative he could think of, including all of his children and grandchildren. And when he returned, he had developed a really bad cold, which turned suddenly into pneumonia. He became weaker by the day and kept telling me he had a birthday card for me. My birthday last week and Father's Day always come within about seven or ten days. He said, I I put it someplace good (laughs) in my apartment, but I can't find it. He said, I think you'd like it. It says what I've always wanted to tell you, but never have. Sunday afternoon, I was preaching at our 5.30 Vesper service, and I got a phone call that my father was not doing well at all. The nurse told me to come as quickly as possible. He grabbed the phone, and I could hear him with labored breathing shouting out these words, Bring the living will! He had a great fear of being hooked up to tubes and a respirator like his brothers were. I said, I got it, Dad. I'm bringing it. He died just before I got there. And it was a difficult grief in losing my father. Scroll forward six months, and I was going through the remaining boxes we had moved out of my father's apartment that were stored in my garage. When I got down to the last box, I looked under the flap of that cardboard box, and sticking out was something blue. I reached down and pulled it out. It was the birthday card my dad had put in a good place that he couldn't put his hands on. I sat down amid all of those boxes and read with tears the best Father's Day present I ever received. And it says, son, you're special to me. 
What is a son? He's the feeling of pride in the heart of each parent. He's so many wonderful things. He's the hope for the future that makes the days brighter in spite of whatever life brings, for life is not perfect. And problems arise, but a son who is special and dear brings joy to the family in such a warm way, and he's loved more and more every year. With warmest wishes and special thoughts and loving pride, because it's your birthday and because, son, you're special to me, have a great day. And in his own handwriting, he has, you're a great son, a great husband, and a great father. And I am so pleased with you and all that you are. Love, Dad. On this Father's Day, we remember the promises of God's love for us. We belong to the family of God, joint heirs through our Heavenly Father's love. And we have inherited the gift of eternal and everlasting life through His Son, Jesus Christ. And in just a few moments, we're going to sing our closing hymn with these words. In Christ there is no east or west, in Him no south or north but one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide earth. Join hands, then, people of the faith, whate'er your race may be, all children of the living God are surely kin to me. For we are children of our Heavenly Father.